Hi everyone, welcome back to the Daily Bible Reading Show. Again, I'm not sure whether we are like back, back, but this is the second day in a row that I'm doing this. But I thought, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make it as manageable as possible. So I'm only doing going to do two readings today, um, at least for this session, for this episode. I did do one this morning already. Um, I've been waking up early around about six o'clock and I do that live as well on Instagram, mainly because the app that I use for Streamlabs isn't working on my phone for some reason. I think it's because my <laughs> my telephone provider is blocking uh, all kind of streaming services. Um, it's a bandwidth. So I think that's partly the reason why. So it's not the fault of the app maker uh, Streamlabs. Uh, I'm using actually Streamlabs to stream this as well on the desktop. But I've done that one reading in the morning already. Uh, so check that out. That was really interesting. I had lots of cows surround me. They were literally all around me this morning. And I read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, the main big idea of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and this is going to sound so, so cheesy, but it's um, doing it more and more. You know, what you know about Christ, uh, what you know about loving others, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, do it more and more. And just because I had all these cows around me, I said, do it moo and moo. <laughs> uh, well, that was that, uh, that reading from this morning. Uh, today, I'm picking up uh, from Leviticus and Psalms. Today is Wednesday, April the 7th. And we'll be looking at Leviticus chapter 10 and Psalm 11 and 12. Okay, uh, again, thank you for joining me. Uh, it was really unexpected yesterday that people actually watched the stream. So I'm, I'm really touched. You know, I, 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 no one watches this. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm just really encouraged. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for leaving those comments, for looking at this. Again, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. Please don't like, don't subscribe. Don't, that's, that's, that's not something you need to do. Um, but this is great. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. Um, just reading the Bible regularly, hearing the Bible again and again, there's something about it that just makes sense because there's so much of it, uh, for one thing. But it speaks into so many aspects of life. Uh, for me, at least, I find that really, really true. Uh, you realize that these are words that are spoken by God. Um, they're understandable. They're very, very challenging. I was about to say that they're very relatable, but before they become relatable, they're very, very challenging because it almost confronts me with issues, with scenarios that I don't naturally consider and encounter every day. But at the same time, they're very relatable. They almost speak into the situation um, of um, sometimes very uncomfortable situations. Yesterday, we were looking at uh, injustice, you know, what happens when you see something wrong and you just want to do something about it. Well, the Bible actually gives us the words to address that and even to pray that before God. And for me, at least, um, it opens my eyes. I think that's what I mean by relatable. It's not that the Bible identifies with me. I think it does. But I think it deals with the world in the way that God actually sees everything that's happening. That's what I mean. Uh, it relates, there's a relationship. Uh, God is constantly dealing with the world. And I think, I would go as far as to say that he does that through his word. Um, 
almost anything and everything that God has an opinion about in this world. I think he does reveal it to a great extent in his word. Um, th that's, that's at least my impression uh, from doing these readings and just reflecting upon them every day. Now let's see if it's true today uh, in Leviticus and in Psalms. Uh, Lord, Heavenly Father, um, thank you that there is a lot of your word to be going through and that you speak to us through your word. It means you have a lot to say. Uh, help us to listen. Um, thank you that it is genuinely really interesting and engaging and challenging at times. And I think that's just evidence of your spirit working within our hearts. Uh, and so we constantly do want to pray. You know, I keep saying this, uh, help us to hear it, to understand it, and want to apply it. But I think uh, we need your help even to do that. So please, would you do this by your spirit as we read your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Leviticus chapter 10. By the way, I'm looking at BiblePlan.org, and you can choose these various plans. I think there are other plans. I've only ever looked at this one. So I use it uh, because it lays out the date and the readings for the day, and I just click on that reading and it opens up a window with the text. So I find that really, really convenient. Um, some people use this. Uh, well, I, I obviously use this. I use this for years and years and years. Uh, my original copy copies, this is volume two of two volumes. I have both volumes back in Singapore. I used them for the first... Um, 10 years of my life and then back then you know internet you know having things online that wasn't a thing and then um i got this here uh got this from my church bookshop i think i think i got it on offer yeah there there this um there from my church bookshop it says there are six quid i got it uh, from my church bookshop um and now i use it online uh there are like kindle versions and stuff so i said yesterday i don't naturally um, encourage people to do this particular plan because it is very, very hefty. Uh, four passages a day uh, is a lot of Bible <laughs> to consume. Uh, and and I, I'm saying that. I'm saying that to you. Uh, some people just do half of those readings. You know, they do two chapters a day. Even then, um, uh, it's a lot. And I say that because sometimes, you know, you miss a couple of days and you miss two days and it's four chapters. It, it's a lot to get through. So what I would normally encourage is um, just to have, and, and I'm still thinking about this, whether this is a good idea, uh, just to have a number of minutes in a day whereby you're just reading the Bible. And if you just put aside even five minutes, you know, just a dedicated five minutes and just keep on reading, uh, it, I think over time you'll find that manageable, encouraging, and it will bear fruit. Uh, I, think, I think that kind of strategy of just having a very small amount of time to start with. Again, you have more as you go along and you can add to it, of course, but I think just making it as regular as possible and that kind of routine, a kind of habit forming ritual, that, that, I think that helps. And um, what did I want to say? Actually, um, and websites like these help as well. So I forget, I forget every day actually what chapter I'm supposed to be reading. And so actually just having that on a screen uh, before I discovered this website, I used to get email notifications uh, for this same plan. Uh, that website 
broke. I think I, that's why I didn't receive that anymore. And that's why I started looking for other alternatives. But there are so many. There are so many options. I get them on my phone as well, on my Bible app, my Bible reading plan app. Not Bible reading plan, just the Bible app. You know you know the one? You know this one? The U version one? Everyone has this? Yeah, it, it has Bible plans as well. And it sends you notifications every day. Um, and so just so many options. Uh, Daily Bread. Daily Bread used to be my absolute favorite in the past because, you know, you had the, Daily Bread is this devotional, this like pocket-sized devotional that you could get and you could flip through one page a day and it had all these readings that were just so engaging. It reminded me of those Reader's Digest uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul kind of like pages. Um, very, very bitty and very uh, inspiring and just helped me to understand the passage more. So that's great as well. Uh, I am I am rambling. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. Uh, we should get on and read Leviticus chapter 10. Oh, okay. All right. It's a serious passage. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said, and Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair on of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But yet let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons, take the grain offering that is left on the Lord's food offerings and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offerings, for so I am, I am commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your son's due 
from the sacrifices of the priest offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to the wave for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering. And behold, it was burnt up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And, Mo and Aaron, sorry, Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they've offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. Okay. Right, that's Leviticus chapter 10. Kind of confusing and very strange and kind of worrying as well. I mean, don't you find it really worrying? God kills two of his priests on, is it still the first day of the inauguration of their installation as their priests? Maybe the second day? Well, within 24 hours um, of chapter 9, we saw yesterday the very, very first service and ministry and sacrifice before God. God kills his priests. And I think so many things are worried, worrying about here, you know, that Aaron is not able to mourn for the death of his sons. He says everyone else can mourn, but uh, you can mourn. And it ends with Aaron um, defending himself when he doesn't follow one of the rules, the stipulations that he's supposed to eat the sin offering uh, that's given to them. And he broke that rule after, you know, his sons has just broke their rule and then the sons got killed. And then he feels defensive and he, he's probably a little bit emotional. You know, how can I do this kind of thing? And Moses then is okay with that. Uh, it's just really, really confusing. Um, what, what do we learn from this? I think um, maybe two things. Number one, there is a seriousness and yet there is a soothingness. I'm thinking this on the fly, so it's not perfect. No, serious and soothing. There is something serious about breaking that rule, you know, God's, God's own prescribed way of worshiping him. So uh, you can't just make up your own way of worshiping God. And there's a seriousness to the extent that people die because of this. And so his sons die. And then did you hear as well, uh, Moses keeps saying to them, you will die, you will die, you will die if you break the rules. So it's not just in the beginning when Nadab and Abihu, are those his sons? Yeah, Nadab and Abihu, they get killed for breaking the rules, for making their making up their own way of worshiping. But then Moses warns Aaron and the other two remaining brothers, you too will die if you don't stick to the rules. So there's a seriousness to worshiping God only in the way that God wants us to. 
but towards the end there is a soothing is there another way of putting it there is a kind of um, uh, comfort that comes after this judgment after the seriousness that uh, almost excuses them when when they can't handle it I think that's I'm referring to Aaron when he's kind of like broken down and he's almost complaining you know why did this happen to me but there is an allowance for it you know Moses allows it Moses approves it verse 20 but I think in a way God also understands so let's look at these two halves the serious and the soothing so uh, this is this is not a sermon by the way this is these are such corny and such bad titles but it's what I'm coming up with on the fly uh, serious and soothing so seriousness because people die verse 1 again now Nadab and Abihu the sons of Aaron they took a censer a censer is like a bowl I don't know if you can imagine this you know this metal bowl and they were meant to put um, oh I can smell my my biscuit and open it I was so tempted to have one uh, but yeah um and you see this in some Catholic churches and some um, high Anglican churches still today, whereby they fill up the whole hall with smoke. And there's someone who goes up and down the hall with this sensor, C-E-N-S-E-R, which is like a metal bowl. And they put coals into it and some incense. You know, it has a particular smell to it. And so the point is you fill up the whole hall with the smoke and you go around the hall and you fill it up with the smoke and there's a certain smell that comes from it. But it's described here as unauthorized fire. So, or literally, my footnotes say, strange fire. That means God didn't ask them to do this. But they thought it would be a good idea. Actually, I don't know what they were thinking, but they did this anyway. And so they were um, these priests who thought they would be innovative, innovative with the way in which they worship God. And he keeps saying there, verse 1, which God had not commanded them. And because they offered this fire, God brought down fire and destroyed them, verse 2. And fire came up from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Just like that, in one verse. One verse they broke uh, God's rule. One verse they got killed by God's fire. And verse 3, Moses says to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. So those near me, referring to Aaron and the priests who come close to him, only they could do this. Aaron was the dad, and his four sons were appointed as priests. No one else could come near God's presence in this tent of meeting in this tabernacle he says before those who are near me he says i will be sanctified and it's sanctified just means considered as special holy you know that's what the word sanctified means you know considered holy and he says before all the people i will be glorified i'll be praised and it ends verse 3 with aaron held his peace and he didn't say anything. He's just, I mean, his sons had just been killed. And was he angry? Was he sad? Was he frustrated? Was he angry with God you know, for killing his sons? You know, couldn't God just have warned them, you know, given some, this was their very first time doing this job. You know, imagine that, you know, I, I'm going to make a guess and, and say that 
um, and also in light of his outburst towards him, how could I do this? You know, um, I think Aaron was kind of frustrated, but he maybe was fearful as well. And therefore he held his peace. He didn't say anything in response to this. You know, his sons had just been killed and God says, I will be glorified. You know, praise me. Now, if we just stop there and pause for a moment, this sounds so insensitive. You know, um, they were doing this as part of their service to, to God. You know, there, it was their first time. Uh, and um, it sounds very, very harsh. It sounds too much, too much, too much to deal with. Um, but there's more, there's more. Um, essentially, uh, Moses tells them that you, Aaron, you and your sons, the brothers of those who died, you can't mourn for them. You know, you have to carry on with this ritual because they're still uh, initiating this new kind of service, this kind of new worship in the tabernacle. They have a job to do as priests offering up worship before God. It says, you need to carry on with that job. You need to complete that cycle. And so all the people, everyone else outside the camp who are not doing this job, they can mourn, they can be sad. You, you can't do that. You have a job to do. Uh, verse 4, And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So uh, got Aaron's cousins, I think. So um, Uziel is the uncle of Aaron. And so got Uziel's sons, Mishael and Elzaphan, to essentially carry the bodies. They've been struck dead carry the bodies out of the camp and I guess to bury them. And then Moses speaks to Aaron and his sons in verse 6. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose. Meaning, um, uh, it, it's not talking about their hairstyles. It's saying don't, don't mourn for your, um, for your brothers, for your sons. Uh, lest you die. You know, do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And so they obeyed what Moses said. You know, you're still within the camp. You can't go out and, you know, see your brothers being buried you have to still do this job and if you try to mourn within the camp you know you will die if you try to leave the camp you will die moses is saying this for their sakes actually and i think they see how serious this serious this command is because obviously someone has just died and maybe it's partly out of concern you know moses i don't want moses is saying i don't want this to happen to you so finish the job Maybe that's what he's saying. And they did according to the word of Moses, verse 7. And verse 8, God speaks directly to Aaron. This is pretty incredible because before this, God would speak to Moses only. Am I wrong in, in thinking that? I think this is the very first time uh, that, at least I can remember, that God is speaking directly to Aaron, who is the high priest. And he says to him, verse 9, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest 
you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Hmm. So there is this teaching element of their ministry. Uh, yeah, I'm noticing this for the first time because the priests, you think, are just supposed to do this ritual. They were just meant to offer up sacrifices. They're meant to do this job of cutting up the meat and putting it on the barbecue pit. They remind me of those bakwa sellers. Um, I used to go to school in Malaysia and there was this street called Chichongkai, Petaling Street. And as you walk down the street, there'll be smoke left and, left and right of you walking down the street because there'll be people grilling these um, flat pieces of meat on the grill, the charcoal grill. And it's intentional that the smoke goes in the street because it's, you're, you're meant to be drawn to it. Oh, that smells so great. And uh, I, have, I had a friend who used to work uh, in one of those uh, shops, uh, one of those grilling shops. And he told me that initially it sounded like great great job because essentially you got paid by the weight of the meat that you grilled so it was quite a princely sum he said for a student you know he said it was a lot of money except that what happens is that as you grill the meat you know the juices evaporate and actually it's judged based on the weight of the final product and so actually the meat loses like 50 percent maybe a lot more than that of its weight in moisture and then you get this dried jerky meat that actually doesn't weigh a lot and you've spent hours and hours the entire day just flipping it flipping it on the grill um wh what was my point uh, well it sounded at least initially with all the descriptions of all the sacrifices from leviticus 1 to 8 that you know they were just grillers of meat putting on the barbecue pit the altar but here god says you're to teach the people of israel verse 11 all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them. And you notice that what they do has this effect on all the people. They are supposed to teach them God's word. And you see again in verse 6, go back to verse 6, you know, you shouldn't do this because otherwise, um, where did I notice this? Um, something about all, all your brothers be affected. I've lost my train of thought. Hmm. Wrath come upon the... Ah, there it is, verse 6. Lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. So there is a reason why God is giving them this instruction. God is speaking to Aaron directly, saying you need to do this because it's not just you who will pay the price. You know, when you fall, everyone else pays the price as well. You know, there's wrath that comes upon the whole congregation. But if you are faithful, if you obey this word, you will bless a congregation. You will be able to teach this word to the others. And so there is this blessing and this curse element that almost is mediated by Aaron and his sons. So you think it's just, oh, Aaron dies. You know, Aaron needs to learn this lesson. And Aaron then becomes a bit more faithful in his work as a minister, as a servant. But God is saying, no, no, no. You know, when you are cursed, you know, then the whole congregation suffers. But when you obey, the whole congregation is encouraged. And I think there's something very eye-opening and just um, sobering about that kind of word that God is speaking directly to Aaron. It says, you know, for the sake of your brothers. 
you know, stay faithful and stay focused on God's word. Uh, what else? Uh, verse 12 onwards, maybe I might skip this. You know, Moses is essentially giving instructions in verses 12 to 15 about how they must eat this um, grain offering in verse 12. Take the grain offering and eat it. Verse 13, you shall eat it. Verse 14, uh, sorry, verse 15 as well. Um, yeah, it's it's for your sons and your sons' offerings. It's, it's essentially talking to them about how all the offerings that they make, whether it's the grain or the meat or the thigh or the breast, all these pieces, you know, they are meant to offer it, but they're also meant to eat it. God is providing for them through the sacrifices, uh, their meals, their livelihood. Um, and Moses is saying to them, make sure you receive it, I guess. That's what he's saying. You know, he keeps saying, you shall eat it, you shall eat it. Verse 14, you shall eat it and eat it in a clean place. And this builds up, you know, eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. You know, isn't there like that um, music video that parody, eat it, eat it, you know, like uh, no one will know because it's based on Michael Jackson's Beat It that was decades ago. But what was that guy's name? Wild L. Yankovic. Yeah, he said, eat it, eat it. And essentially Moses is singing that song to them, eat it, eat it. Make sure you eat it. Eat all the sacrifices that God has provided for you as part of your livelihood, you know, as a provision for your priesthood. And then it builds up to verse 16. He says, there's this particular meal that Moses checks on. Have you eaten it? Verse 16. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering. And behold, it was burned up. They, they didn't eat it. You know, they burned it all up. They, they did the bit about the sacrifices. They offered it up to God. But they were meant to actually eat part of that meat uh, for themselves. And they didn't. They just barbecued the whole thing. And then, you say in Chinese, that means all burned up. It's all black. And he was angry with Eliezer and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, verse 16. And he says, verse 17, Why? Have you not eaten it? Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary since it is a thing most holy and it has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? That's an inter interesting description that you may bear the sin or the iniquity of the congregation and then make atonement for them before the Lord. There's something about they're taking on the sin of all the people that quenches the judgment and the anger. That's the idea of atonement. That somehow God is pleased to forgive uh, because of the actions that you've taken. I'm not sure how that connection is made, but that's what Moses says. By eating this meat, somehow you're able to make God pleased again with those who've sinned against him. Verse 18, behold, its blood uh, was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it. Eaten it. He keeps saying, why didn't you eat it? You're supposed to eat it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And here comes Aaron's defense. I think Aaron finally speaks. He doesn't say anything throughout this whole chapter. Do you notice? You know, his sons just died. Aaron kept his peace. God speaks to him. Aaron keeps his peace, but now Moses speaks to him. And Aaron just can't hold it in anymore. And he says, verse 19, 
Behold or look, look. Today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things have happened to me. If I had eaten it, eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? Now I I I don't quite know. Let me just be upfront and say I don't quite know what Aaron is getting at. But I think some things are obvious. He is frustrated and angry and just dealing with his son's death, and he's connecting that with the job that he has already done. You know, we've offered up this sin offering, this burnt offering before the Lord, and yet this happened. So you know, we've done this job. God has asked us to do this, and yet. He killed my sons. He says, how, how can you then ask me to eat this sin offering, this burnt offering? And now I'm, I'm just spitballing. I'm just thinking out loud. It may be that he's afraid, afraid to do this. I wonder if, if that's part of that. He's afraid that God will kill them if they eat this burnt offering. And maybe he just wants to follow everything to the rule, even though he doesn't quite do that. He's supposed to eat the thing, but he just burns everything up. Um, so he's trying to be as conservative as possible. Let's put it that way. So maybe it's partly fear. He just wants to do the job and just get through the day and get the job done. You know, he doesn't feel like celebrating. Maybe that's why, you know, it's a nice piece of meat. You know, the, the, this lamb, you know, God has provided for them. It's meant to be... Um, well, you, you think of it, you know, you only have turkey during, say, Christmas, or you have that special meal to mark that occasion, and then someone dies, and then there's a tragedy. You don't feel, you don't feel like eating that. And I wonder if that's the kind of situation whereby Aaron's going, I, I just don't have the appetite to do this. Again, I, I am guessing, doing a bit of on-the-fly kind of thinking, I wonder if as a bit of that, or maybe, or maybe Aaron is kind of upset with God. He says, no, I can't do I, I, In my heart of hearts, you know, I'm so sad. I'm a, so broken. God, you haven't allowed me to mourn the death of my own sons. And so I'm just going to do the job. I'm going to do the job. And, and I'll follow the rules. But maybe this one rule I won't follow. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe there is that. Uh, but also, again, I think the fear is there. You know, yet such things have happened to me. You know, I have borne this iniquity in a way that I didn't expect it to. It's meant to be symbolic only. So you remember, right, you know, earlier on there was that strange verse, you know, verse 17. The reason why they're eating this, this meat is not just that it's so tasty or God has given to me, but there's something about eating this meat as almost like you're eating the iniquity, that you're eating this sin and therefore you're almost bearing this sin on behalf of the people and God looks at that and God says, okay, I am pleased with that. I will forgive them and I will atone for their sin. And Aaron is saying, I have done this already. I have already borne this iniquity through the death of my son. And he says, you know, I, I, I've done my job. I think, I think I've, I've, I've done enough for today. And I, I wonder if it's that last kind of like understanding and deepening of grief and yet uh, of, of, of just everything kind of like making sense. And maybe for the first time, Aaron really gets it, what he's trying to do, that God is making him do 
in bearing the sins of his people that Aaron, that Moses, sorry, at, at the end, he, Moses hears this and then he says, okay, all right, I, I understand. I, th I think you get it. He says he approved. Um, what, what do we learn from this? I think Aaron sees and understands something about what God will do on the cross through Jesus, that God will offer up his son as a means for, well, you know, you can get a bit cliche about this. Oh, God gives his son, he forgives us our sins. But it gives insight to what God really feels about how he is giving his son for us. You know, the way in which Aaron says, you know, I'm giving my sons to serve you. And then he dies and he's so angry about it. But he carries on and he does the job, and, 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 but he still feels it inside. And I, I, I don't know if I'm going on a bit of a leap here, but I wonder if that's almost a shade of what God truly feels about God giving his own son, whom he loves, for the sins and the forgiveness of my sins. And, you know, and sometimes you know, we take it too flippantly. You know, God loves, so loved the world that he gave his son. It's, oh, God loves you. And that's it. Oh, God loves you. And that's how he gave Jesus. So that's great, you know. But, but God so loved us. This is the way in which God loved us, that he gave his son to die for us on the cross. And God raised him, of course, and God seated him and exalted him. And now Jesus is alive and he is reigning at God's right hand. But the fact that Jesus had to endure that, the fact that the Father had to send him his own son, to, I, think, I think there are shades of that in Aaron's, Aaron's reaction. And, and I wonder if that's just meant to open our eyes to just how serious and how wonderful and how good and what a blessing it is. And just, just all that emotion plus blessing and just with what God sees when he looks at the cross and what we should see as well. Yeah, that was, that was kind of long. <laughs> okay, um, I wonder if I should just stop there. Um, yeah. yeah, let's let's just look at the the other the other reading for today, and and maybe, um, yeah, let's let's see what we can learn from that as well. But Leviticus chapter ten, I think that's a very sobering passage for people who are in ministry. You know, you might go through times. I wonder when you think uh, it's almost unfair that I have to preach on Sunday and maybe something happened that morning itself that just made you go, you know, this is just, I wonder if this is worthwhile. And, you know, maybe you had that argument. Maybe you're dealing with that particular emotion that you, you can't display in front of your church when you're preaching because, you know, it wouldn't be encouraging for them and you have to kind of like deal with it on the inside. God understands. Of all people, I think God as a father who sacrificed his own, who's lost his son, who sacrificed his own son for the good and the love and the forgiveness of his, God understands if you've ever been there. And maybe uh, we need to understand what God has done for us on the cross. Psalm 11. Psalm, maybe I'll just do Psalm 11. I wouldn't do 12. Psalm 11. To the choir master of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. 
The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, for his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Okay, so there's a question, verses 1 to 3, and there's an answer, verses 47. The question is, um, because I take refuge, because I trust in God, in the Lord I take refuge, because I trust in God, you know, all my life is hidden with him. How can you say to me, uh, run away, run away from the wicked? Essentially, that's what he's saying. Flee like a bird to the mountain, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. So the wicked, you imagine, you know, this guy has an arrow. You think of Hawkeye in, in Avengers. He's, 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 he's about to shoot you. It says like a bird, you know, fly away to the fly to refuge, fly, fly for help, fly, run for your lives. And at one level, that that does make sense, right? I mean, if you're about to be killed, <laughs> don't don't stay there. If someone's trying to mug you, if you can run away, run away. Um, why does he say that this does not make sense? This kind of uh, fleeing, this kind of running away approach. Let's see what else he says in verse two. He says, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So verse 3 essentially implies that we are helpless. So um, you are supposed to run away because you can't fight against this evil. You're like a bird. You're the guy with the arrow. Um, they're shooting at you in the dark. Verse 2, they shoot the dark in the dark, the upright in the heart, so you can't see it coming. But also this description of the foundations. Did you notice that in verse 3, the foundations are destroyed? And um, meaning maybe the people who are there to protect you, you know, um, foundations, uh, if you think of, Maybe is it talking about like leaders or the people who are strong foundations hold the structure up, you know, the, the strong people in your group of friends, the people who would normally, you know, stand up for you and in church, you know, again, maybe your leaders, they're, they've also been destroyed. Maybe they've been killed by this same evil person, wicked person who, with their arrows as well. So all your defenses are gone and you're at your last wits, you know, you have no more defenses. No one else is standing up for you. It just makes sense. It just makes sense to run away. But the question is, how can you say this to me? How can you tell me to run away? You know, um, because I am trusting in God. So that's the question. You know, how can you say this to me? And the answer is verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. So God is in heaven. Now, that still sounds far away. <laughs> you know, if the Lord is here with me, that, that sounds comforting. But God is in heaven. I guess it means God is still on the throne. It's not as if God isn't seeing this. God isn't in control. In heaven means he is on the throne. He is ruling. He is powerful. 
And he does say that his eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. So he isn't blind to my situation. But rather, God is using this situation to test me, to test my heart. Verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. So it's in this very situation and not out of it. You know, while you're still in danger, while you're under threat, when everyone else has run away or maybe everyone else has been destroyed, that God is using this to test you. You know, it, it's all within God's control to save you, but it's also all within God's will and wisdom to use this dangerous situation to test you, to keep you in that situation, in other words. And verse 6, Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Yeah, so in just one verse, it says, you know, God will deal with them. Essentially, you know, God, and you will deal with them in a really tremendously, uh, you know, rain, coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur. It, it's, a, it's a very big way, God-like way. Fire and sulfur reminds me of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Is it Genesis 19, somewhere around there, maybe 20, 19 or 20? Yeah, Genesis 19. So Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by sulfur, fire from heaven. And so God has done that before. But you know what? Uh, if you think especially of Sodom and Gomorrah, that happened after great, great, great wickedness. You know, God sent his angels, rescued Lot, and he pulled them away. Actually, it was God who sent his angels to tell them to flee. So that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, initially, you know, they're being told to flee, but the story of Sodom and Gomorrah tells, reminds us that we should flee from sin. So how do you square that? I, I don't know. I don't know. Isn't, isn't that a conundrum? You know, he says, how can you tell me to flee? But in Sodom and Gomorrah, actually, they're being told to flee. And maybe there's a difference if God tells you to do this, than if man tells you, you know, I think of all those uh, references in the New Testament about Jesus telling people to flee from Jerusalem when that judgment comes. And, you know, you're supposed to take that seriously. How can you tell the difference? Uh, how, how do you know when to do this and when not to? Um, this guy, you know, he trusts in God. Well, David, David trusts in God. This is a Psalm of David, that God is in control. And therefore he in his perspective, he shouldn't flee. He should keep trusting in God. God is using the situation to test him. And yet he quotes and refers to, to an incident where the people are fleeing from that destruction. Um, oh, maybe that, maybe that. So that's the difference. They're fleeing not from the wicked people, but they're fleeing from God's destruction, the sulfur and the rain of fire. Maybe that's that. And verse 7, for the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face. And so he ends with how God loves those who, who look to him, who live according to his ways, the righteous. And maybe here is then a reminder for those who do know God, not to be swayed by those who don't, not to be tempted, um, not to be um, well afraid of the, the wicked, but to keep their eyes on God to trust in him, to know that he is in heaven, he is reigning. 
I think. I think. I'm sure I've missed some stuff. You know, there must be more to it than this.、Um, but yeah, okay. That that Psalm 11. I'll I'll stop there. Okay.、Uh, just because I want to keep this under an hour,、uh, keep it manageable, and also it makes it easier for me to upload to Instagram. Just the whole thing without having to edit anything. So I'm going to end、uh, with a prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are right now, even right now, reigning in heaven. You are ruling over heaven, and maybe we need to see this, especially if we are in trouble, especially when all we can see are all those arrows pointed at us. And thank you, Father, that you are in such control that you can even use these situations of danger to show that you are in control, to remind us to trust in you. So thank you that your eyes are on the righteous and those who know you. So help us to live in a way that is holy before you, that trusts in Jesus, never looks away, and that you are pleased with. You know, Lord, that's all we want to do. We want to live in a way, step by step, according to your Spirit,、um, trusting and loving you every step of the way.、Uh, thank you、uh, for today's reading.、Um, please. You know, blot away anything that wasn't helpful, anything that was wrong.、Um, thank you again. I, 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 I think these have been very instructive and very encouraging words to us.、Uh, praise you for your word, and help us to obey them. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me. This has been the Daily Bible Reading Show.、Uh, we just looked at Leviticus chapter ten and Psalm eleven.、Uh, my name is Calvin. Hi, we've not met.、Um, this is live from Cambridge. See you again. Take care. God bless. Have a good day. Bye.